this morning trying to put on truth and learn greater insights into this call that is upon our lives. You know, whatever it is that you came in here today thinking that you were, you know, I'm a businessman, business owner, I'm an athlete, I'm whatever. Whatever it is that lays some claim to your attention and time, most importantly, more importantly, even than the fact that you're called a husband or a wife, is that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. That one word, more than any other word in your life, clarifies who you are. It informs how you go about being a husband or a wife. It informs how you go about being a business manager, a business owner, an employer, an employee. So that word comes first. And being a disciple, it's not just a word, it's a reality. It's the way we live. And there's a... There's a concern, and I'm addressing that concern in this series that we're doing, that we live in a particular age, the digital age, not just because we use computers and devices, but because those devices afford opportunities to our lifestyle, and that touches how we go about living as disciples, and when we need to be wise. This, this series is part an analysis, and we're spending a lot more time analyzing our lives than we are uh, expounding on the scriptures through this particular series. This, uh, this age in which we live in, it's adjusting the way in which we relate. It's adjusting how we use our time. It's adjusting our priorities and our goals. And you and I haven't gotten any more time as a result of moving into the digital age. We didn't go from 24 hours to 28 hours so that we'd have more time to manage the additional digital stuff that our life has afforded us. There are certain things about being a Christian that you just can't do away with. They're what I'm calling the irreducible fundamentals. Right, so fundamental number one was knowing God. Knowing God. If your life has begun to spin so out of control that you just don't have time or vehicles through which to know God, something has got to change. It's got to change. And the Bible actually treats knowing God as more important than whether you eat or not today. Did you know that? Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, every revelation that proceeds from God, that's what you live by. Prayer is an irreducible fundamental in your life. If your life is taking on practices and activities that have pushed prayer out of it, something's got to change. You cannot fulfill the purpose of God. You cannot experience the purpose of God in your life without prayer. It's irreducibly a fundamental of the faith. Today we're going to look at fellowship. Fellowship has to exist in our lives, and it has to have some depth and some reality in our lives. Otherwise, again, we cannot experience the purpose of God in our day and in our personal lives and in the life of the church. Right, and we'll look at two more after today. But today in the realm of fellowship, I want to address how the digital age is touching the way we do relationships, right? I was reading the newspaper yesterday. How many of y'all still read the newspaper? The digital age. 
<laughs> We're a dying breed, <laughs> aren't we? Wow, the age of the hands that went up. <laughs> How many of y'all know that there is a newspaper? Here's a headline from a little story that was in the Times-Picayune just yesterday. Half of U.S. adults on social networks. That's a 20% boost from last year. All right, so just in the last year, social networks ha- are, are receiving a huge increase in participation. All right, now let me, let me just say this carefully from the outset. Uh, I, I am not attempting to teach rules through this. All right? you, you, you do, it is your obligation. Right? Don't everybody, I'm going to release myself from having 100% of the responsibility as to whether or not the preacher sounds like he's legalistic. All right? I'm releasing myself from that. And I'm putting a good bit of it on you. <laughs> you need to determine how you listen. Because right? it's, it's right for the pulpit to have strong admonitions and warnings and insights and rub life a certain way. That's right. When you read the Bible, it gets up in your business. Sometimes we interpret, because, again, we're, we're biblically not sound, we interpret that, hey, if you get up in my business, if you get specific and you get up in my business, that's, that's legalistic. Bro, I'm not going to get up underneath that. Well, please, by all means, don't get up underneath that. But you do need to be able to receive insight into your life. That sort of rubs you the wrong way. And you also need to be mature. Because when we gather together, we're all in different places. You need to be mature in the sense that you're able to listen to this for where you need to make adjustments. And not where somebody else needs to make adjustments. Right? You don't want to make a rule out of a revelation God gives you about adjustment you need to make in your life that that you now want to impose that upon everybody else. So as I interact with social networks today, uh, you know, don't walk out of here going, oh, I can never mention to Keith that I do Facebook. Oh, you know. No, you can. You'll just have to tolerate my cynicism and my obnoxious comments. But other than that, you're fine. (laughs) No. Listen, we're in different places. People have different amounts of time. People have different capacities, right? I mean, that's just true. Some people can, can take on three times as much as somebody else and still get twice as much done as that other guy's doing in every category of their life. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's got that kind of capacity, and you need to know that about yourself. If you don't have the time and the capacity to do as many things as you're doing, well, then do less, but make sure the priority list looks right for you. If you do and you're pulling stuff off and you hear somebody else, you know, feels like, well, I could never do that. I, I, there's no way I'd ever give my time to doing that. Well, great. Well, let that guy walk in his convictions. But if it's not a stumbling issue for you, well, don't take it on. Like just because he feels so passionate about it or I feel passionate about it, if it's a personal component that the Bible doesn't make this harsh stand on, clear stand, well, then you need to walk in the convictions God's given you, right? So clearly in this room, Facebook could be fine for some folks and could be very wrong for others. It's just a reality. You need to hear the Spirit of God tell you that. And and I'm picking on Facebook a little bit today, but just all of the interaction, you know, the cell phone world that gets created by carrying around cell phones with us, uh, Some of us just need to realize. How many of y'all know that when a device rings, you are not under some holy obligation to answer it? Right? Now, some people don't know that. 
right? Just be liberated. Let's have an altar call right now. <laughs> Come throw down your phones right now, right up here. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, here, you're having, a, you're having a meeting with another human being face-to-face. You know, that person's taking time to be with you, and your device rings. See, years ago, there was, there was a word for you answering your device. Y'all remember what that word was? Wow, you all knew it without me even saying it. That's rude. Today, it's normal, isn't it? You know what it is to be put on hold in person, right? Call waiting. My parents didn't get call waiting until I think they were like 79 or something years old. Just, you know, if I was on the phone, the other person got the busy signal. That's just appropriate. Then call waiting came. Now it's like we're live. It's like, excuse me one second, you know, we're going to. Or take a call, right? There's these strange little rules that are getting created in our world. All right, let me jump into this before I take too long messing around. All right, two contributions that the digital age is making to the practice of fellowship. One, the, dec- the decrease of face-to-face fellowship. Right? The decrease of face-to-face fellowship. Part of that is people who attend cyber church. Now, I think this is a rather minor part at this point, but I think it is a concern for the future. Right? Listen to this thought from Tim Challey. This is going to help us a lot again today from his book. Church is changing in this digital age. The titles of books like The Church of Facebook and Sim Church hint at the kinds of issues we are dealing with as Christians. The, the author of Sim Church writes, Virtual churches are products of two inexhaustible torrents redirecting 21st century human development, which is important as to why we even address this stuff. The exponential rate of technological growth and postmodernism. Now, I want to just pick on one particular element of postmodernism. Postmodernism brings an, an incredible amount of emphasis on the individual, the individual's rights, the individual's perspective, the individual's pursuits. Right, that's, that's a flavor of postmodernism. I think it informs a little bit about what's happening here. All right, so you've got some people that are attending cyber church. I think that's a rather small number, quite honestly. I think more what the digital age has done for our participation, our coming together, is I think it's just worn us out. And so Sunday morning is a tired moment for all of us. Right? You look over your week, and this goes back to what we've been talking about, that, that, that continuous partial attention thing that happens where we're just interacting with information constantly, checking our devices, looking to see, you know, it's going to have an email, got a, got a text, got a phone call, talking to you, visiting this person, back on the email, text on the internet, taking in, and just, and our minds are just running at 40 miles an hour, burning up fuel, burning up fuel, burning up fuel. And so you go through the week that way, you get to Saturday, Saturday becomes everything you couldn't do during the week, and you just overload Saturday with stuff, and, and still manage to probably do some digital stuff as well. And then Sunday morning rolls around, and you know Monday is coming. And so this can become a real negotiable time frame, can it? It's just so much pulling at me. So I think in one regard, the pace of life that's been created by the digital age that we live in has made it difficult for us to come together sometimes. I just think we don't have the energy to do it. And I think that's more significant than the cyber church. But here's an issue I really want to go after today, the second contribution. The change of attitude that is affecting the way we relate to each other in fellowship. God has prescribed that our relationships would have a certain quality to it. 
the way relationships are being done today is pulling on that. It's, this is sort of that lead poisoning issue. It's like without knowing it, you and I are around some ideas that are being fostered inside of us. And we may even be cooperating with it without knowing it. So relationships in the digital world. I'm going to ask six questions about how the digital age may be affecting the quality of our relationships. Question number one. Is social media tending to promote quantity at the expense of quality? Right? The digital age, as we've said before, Actually, some of the stuff I've been reading, people actually are communicating more now than ever before. But the style of the communication is much more quantity than it is quality, right? When, when you do texting, you know, texting is sort of like a, a soundbite communication, right? We're not, we're not going to get into a lengthy, in-depth discussion about something significant in our lives through texting, but there's a lot of texting going on. Uh, Facebook is sort of like the highlights of life. You know, they're just kind of snippets and pieces and pictures and activities. And so, again, there's not a lot of depth here. And then when you add to the fact that years ago we had a small pool of people that made up our, our lives and who we interacted with on a weekly, even monthly basis. And so we were kind of visiting with people who already knew the surface stuff about us. And whatever happened last week that was surfacy and really not all that meaningful, but that thing going on in your heart that really is making you an obnoxious human being, that thing, at some point they had the opportunity to interact with that. Now, you know, we've got hundreds of friends, hundreds of friends to, to stay informed. And so sometimes we publish the same sort of surfacy information over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we just let everybody know this is what happened. And, the, and then you're interacting with this person. And your friend that you went to high school with contacts you on Facebook. And then somebody else texts you. And it's just, it can become very surfacy. And so we don't have sometimes the quality of relationship that maybe we need to have. Tim Challey says, when our words, written or spoken, serve an idol, They try to distract us from what matters most. They encourage us to focus on quantity over quality. Our communication begins to lack substance, and the constant flow of words keeps us from focusing our hearts and minds on the truth. The sheer quantity of words can dilute their power and harden our hearts to the word of God. Listen, when you're communicating more, right, you're, I mean, you're sort of using up your word dynamic, right? You've got a certain amount of interaction that you're going to do with words, and you use that up, use it up, use it up all day long. I, I would dare say that, that most or many Christians today would find themselves not getting as much from the Bible as maybe they would say they did 10 years ago. We've been interacting with words and concepts so much that I pick this word up and it's, you know, and it's, it's not graphic, it's slow, it's slow moving. It demands meditation, not just introductory. It's not a, it's, this is not a text, you know. It's calling on us to think about some really awesome, deep, powerful things and not just live at the surface. All right, how about this question? Is social media diminishing the number of deep relationships we have in our lives? We've got a lot of relationships, more now than ever, but is it diminishing the deep relationships? Tim Challies says this, as we have given ourselves over to online mediated communication, 
Many have done so at the expense of real-world, face-to-face communication. Over half of young women, 57%, say they spend more time talking to people online than face-to-face. A study from the University of of Stanford found that for every hour we spend on our computers, traditional face-to-face interaction falls by nearly 30 minutes. The four hours you spend tomorrow will come at the expense of two hours of face-to-face contact with those closest to you. All right, just stop for a moment and think about that. Because we don't get any more time. Right? So whatever you were doing before the digital age made us available to the computer world, uh, you're, you're having to take time away from something else for that interaction to take place. And, and, and you know, is that, again, you need to put this on for yourself personally. Is that the best use of your time. Are there more important things than email, web surfing, Facebook that need to be first done by us? And then if you've got time left over, sure. But, you know, it's, it's easy to get that upside down, right? Because sometimes we just want to sort of veg out a little bit and do the the interactive thing. Um, I'm debating whether to share this because it's not my story. It's my wife's. Can I share about your... <laughs> you, don't, you don't know where I'm going there, do you, honey? <laughs> um, I, I, I'm, I don't prohibit Facebook in my home. Uh, I, just, I just don't have a life big enough for it. All right, that's why it doesn't exist in my life. I don't have the capacity to do Facebook and all the other things that are in my life, so I just don't. Uh, my wife did Facebook for a pretty good while and, uh, and, and came to the place for herself in, in this kind of a regard that she just, and for those of you who did Facebook and would interact with her, she's not dead, right? She's like she's dead online. It's like all of a sudden she just disappeared. It was a Facebook kidnapping or something. Uh, <laughs> No, you know, stopped responding, you know, no more updates. Did she get in a wreck? A cyber wreck occurred and she's dead. Uh, but she just came to a place where she felt like, you know, there, there are other things in my life that I'm not getting to that are more important for me to get to than trying to keep up with Facebook interaction. And so she just decided to unplug, just disappear off the Facebook world. Now, that was, that was right for her. Uh, that may not be right for everybody or, or necessary for everybody, but please don't feel like that's so socially weird if you do, right? Because Facebook's catching on more and more and more and more. At some point, you know, you're going to be in the vast minority if you're not on Facebook. Um, if you feel like that doesn't work for you, well, then by all means, feel free not to do that. And follow the Lord in that and find out how you're doing and interacting in the categories that are of primary importance and responsibility for you. Uh, Challies goes on and says, our new media technologies are designed not to encourage depth in existing relationships, but to widen our network and our ability to say less that is of real substance. Quick and impulsive replies dominate the landscape. Thoughtful, longer replies seem out of place and unnecessary. Shallow words reveal a shallow heart. Could it be that our digital technologies are encouraging us to live in a world of shallow, meaningless, immediate communication? Are these the ideologies carried within Facebook, within the cell phone? Do they promote significance in communications, or do they seem to prohibit it? Do they promote depth 
or breath. All right, listen, fellowship, what the Bible calls fellowship, needs depth. It needs depth for it to happen. So you want to have deep relationships that have content to them, that discuss significant doctrinal and life issues, that discuss significant things about your own life. You need people in your world who will play that sort of role. Next question. Is social media changing the way we identify with any group? This thought from Chalice's book. Barry Wellman coined a useful term that describes who we are in our online communities. He spoke of networked individualism, noting that today's users of digital technologies now identify less with local groups. Wellman observes, rather than relying on a single community for social support... Individuals often actively seek out a variety of appropriate people and resources for different situations. Each person can build his own community. Community has become personalized, individualized. We are networked as individuals who are more concerned with our own interests than those of others. This would be that secondhand smoke kind of a thing that I get concerned about. When you look at how the digital age tends to function, it tends to be a creating of a group that I'm going to relate to, and, and we then control the parameters for who's going to be in that group. What kind of interests are they going to have? Who's going to be in my space with me? Well, it's going to tend to be people who are sort of like me. And so we, we personalize our world out of preference. And everywhere you turn, that's sort of being applauded. Like, like yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. You personalize your world. You make it about the people you want to be around, and you make it not about the people you don't want to be around. But how do you know if you just glance at the body of Christ? How do you know that's, that's not the way the church is? Right? God has joined together a variety of people in his body. A significant difference is between us in terms of our personalities, our economic background, uh, our color. There's differences, and God intentionally put us together. God didn't intend that our lives would be sort of this designer approach where we kind of design the life that we want and then we live in it. Right? If you come from a family that's you know, got a few players inside of it, you, know, you had brothers and sisters, you may or may not have chosen them, right? I mean, that's just facts. If you're older, you're honest about that now. If you're still living with them, you might want to be careful. But they may not have been your choice, but they were God's choice. See, it doesn't always work for us to create a world that we prefer and to live in it. Uh, you'll find your marriage, because, and this is how this creeps into your life. Uh, when you have the power to create the world you want, what do you do and what is your attitude towards the world when it's not what you want? What do you do when, when your marriage relationship becomes, you know, you know, I don't like the way you are in that category. You don't like the way I am in that category. Right? You know, you've got like one of those buttons, that, you got like, like a defriend button. What are you doing? You no longer want to be friends on Facebook. You, know? uh, you get this ability just to kind of step out of the difficulty of that. Well, you know, this kind of stuff gets in us, and it's, it's really kind of all over. I mean, if you think about the world that we live in, we live in a segregated society, right? Black and white is still got huge walls in between it. 
And white doesn't want to cross over into black, and black doesn't want to cross over into white. That's the way the world is. We live in our communities. Some of them are gated communities. You know, we live in suburbs because we want to live with people who drive cars like us and have similar economic backgrounds, and therefore I don't have to deal with somebody's crazy idea about what they do in the middle of the night and whether they play their music too loud because the people that are like me don't do that kind of stuff, and so we all move in the neighborhoods together. This is how we live our lives. And then, and then the church begins to get affected by that. And you, you have out there in the world what I would call designer churches. I mean, there was a, there was a move for a while. And I don't know if these churches are still doing it. I won't mention who it is. But there's a, one of them had a little nickname for the sort of the profile image of the guy they were going after. He was Blah Blah Sam. That was who he was. And, it, and there was an actual picture of him. He was a late 30s, yuppie-looking guy, professional uh, you know, he had two kids, and it just described his whole lifestyle. And the statement of the church was, that's who we're after. Do you understand that that's how at odds with the Bible that is? I mean, it almost sounds like, yeah, well, somebody's got to reach that particular segment of the society. Hey, now, God sovereignly saves who God sovereignly saves, but he puts together folks. And then, you know, the, you have, and I understand some of the, the attempt at this, and I, I don't even say it's wrong. But when we design small groups in the church, right, our small groups are made up of all kinds of different folks in groups. Uh, and, and, and I don't, again, I don't say this is wrong, but, you know, when churches begin to too much adopt the influence of creating your own personal world, then they, they make their groups, okay, all, all the, let's have a fishing group. All the guys who love fishing, and let's have a golf group, all you guys that love golf, and then uh, ladies, all that you like to sew. Uh, let's have a movie group for those who like to do movies. And you form all your small groups about people who are like you. They've got an interest just like you. See, and then I don't have to put up with somebody's boring tale about an in- area that I'm not interested in. That doesn't interest me. Like you're, you're sewing. Oh, you know, what, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> right? But yet God calls us into relationships with people that are not like us. And we're growing up in a world that says, well, you don't need those people in your world. You just need to surround yourself with people that are just like you. Now, let me tell you what this is doing for those of you who are looking to get married one day. It's putting this huge weight on this imaginary concept called your soulmate. You need to find your soulmate. You know, that person, what, what, what's your soulmate? Well, it's somebody who's just like me. <laughs> I need to marry somebody just like me. Really? Really? You're going to find God's going to outsmart you. <laughs> and you're going to think you're marrying somebody like you. <laughs> and then like within two weeks of the wedding, they're going to go. <laughs> and then they're going to have like two heads. You're going to go, who are you? <laughs> uh, and then you're going to spend like 40 years discovering all the differences that exist between you. It's, it's a mentality that this world has created. It's not, it's not a good one. It doesn't work real well. How about this? Is social media contributing to the I in our I world emphasis on the individual? This is an interesting article I had sent to me. Life beyond me. Listen to this. There's something about an inbox that subtly and not so subtly conveys the notion that we are important. With three missed calls on the cell phone, 18 unread emails, and two messages on the answering machine, we are pelted with the enticing idea, someone needs me. 
The immediate ring, buzz, or pop-up note proclaiming the arrival of these new messages is somehow complimentary, even as it demands our attention. Check your mailbox now. Someone is looking for you. (laughs) The language of technology seems to further our sense of importance by bidding us to claim and personalize these worlds. I'm only one click away from my documents, my calendar, my favorites, my music, my pictures, and my shopping cart. Anthropologist Thomas did. Zengodita calls it Me World in a book that examines the ways in which the world of media shapes our lives. He portrays the technological advanced media saturated West as a world filled with millions of individual flattered selves, each living in its own insulated personalized world. He believes the narcissism that comes from living in Me World has been fashioned and is constantly being fed by media representations in all areas of our lives, from those private representations that purport us to to be the star, home videos, wedding photos, Facebook, to the public advertisements, television, and magazines that ever address us personally. Subtle as it may be, the most precarious part of flattered living is that we gradually lose sight of both life and self. Despite all the overt declarations on my computer, this is not, in fact, my world. Though I am flattered by the attention of me world, I am not the center of all existence. The Christian worldview takes this inquiry one step further. Namely, how do I cultivate an awareness that this is God's world in a world that reminds me at every turn that it is mine? The countercultural admission that we are not our own, nor walking alone, is certainly a starting point. Right? This, this lifestyle that we live today, I, I think the only illustration that came to mind quickly for me was, was sort of like the suds in your sink when you're doing dishes. <clears throat> you know, what are suds? You, know, you look on and it's this, this amalgamation of a sea of white puffiness sitting there. But what suds are is a bunch of individual bubbles all inhabiting the same space. And so what we are doing, it seems like in the digital world, is is I walk in places and I'm like this individual bubble, right? I'm, I'm, I'm living in me world. I got my space going on, and I just happen to be parked next to you today in the chair. But it's my space going on. And what I do is I take my devices with me to keep my space active while I'm in your space, I still have my space. And so we have smartphones that at any minute can give me a break from your boring world of space and put me back in touch with all the things about my space that I'm truly interested in. So if I get a ding, how important it is that I find out one of my peeps is contacting me. (laughs) Somebody on my A-list is interested in conversing with me. And it's a shame that I happen to be in your space right now, but I don't really care for your space. We came together for secondary reasons. You're not on my friend list anyway. So I need to check in. Can you excuse me for just one second? I need to check in with important things. So you guys remember this this phone that came out not too long ago? I think it was a a Windows phone, I think is what it was. And here's the advertisement for it. It's a, it's a dad walking around on a soccer field, and he's lost inside of his phone. And I think he just kind of like bumps into something like while the soccer game's going on. The answer to that was the new Windows phone 
where when you look at it, it's got multiple windows. So you can see all that's going on in your world all at a glance. So God forbid that you'd actually have to pay attention to your son playing soccer. Because you know how boring that can be. He's seven. He stinks anyway. Most of these kids stink at soccer. I need to get something going on that's interesting here. Oh, I got a text. Oh, I have an email. And we're in these settings with each other. We're not paying attention to each other's lives. We're subtly learning how to disconnect from each other and only stay connected to my own little world. Right? If, we, if you're a young person here and... And you have to spend time with, with adults. Just if you have to engage the adult world, by all means, take MySpace devices with you. Take an MP3 player. If you have to listen to the music in the car, that would be horrible. Put your device in, wear your headphones, and stay in your world with my music. Uh, if you are younger than that and you, know, and you don't want to try and figure out what grandma is talking about, just take the handheld game with you and play the handheld game. That way you don't have to try and figure out what old people are saying, right? So at all ages, we are trying to live in my space. And subtly, I find your space very uninteresting, not all that important. And you understand how years ago that, that wasn't, it wasn't possible. If you went to watch your kid play ball, that's the only thing going on was them playing ball. You watched because there wasn't anything else to do. And if they stunk and it wasn't interesting, you did the best job you could to take interest in it. You didn't answer emails from work. And do you see how this stuff kind of creeps into us slowly? Chally says, along with the demand for interactivity came the desire for customization. The user experience had to be customized so that we could build a presence that would reflect our interest and our passions. Facebook allows us to see a stream of updates generated only by our friends. MySpace has allowed a generation of teens to customize an online presence that somehow reflects who they are. And I'll talk about that more in just a moment. How about this question? Are people using social media to protect themselves from social challenges? I mean, how many of you guys have figured out socializing is an awkward animal. Now, there's a few of you here that that's not true for. You're, you're just kind of social animals. And uh, you can be in any setting with anybody at any time. And you're never bothered. As a matter of fact, you eat those moments up like food. And then there's a bunch of the rest of us who are wondering, who am I going to be in that setting? Who am I not going to be? What am I going to say? What will I talk about? I don't even know this person. What, I don't, how do I have a conversation with them? Am I dressed okay? Did that sound stupid? I mean, we were, we're very conscious of all this stuff going on in the social world. So in an interesting way, social networks rescue you from that because you control the environment. It offers you a level of control that live interaction takes away. Right, so while I'm with you in person, we're going to have a conversation. What if we run out of things to say? Right, how many of y'all have that kind of a personality that you just, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to run out of stuff to say. I used to be, when I was younger, in any, any form of thoughts of dating, I was being, oh, what am I going to say? It's just going to be me and her. <laughs> I'm going to run out of things to say just like that. And just you live in this fear of how you're going to do socially. Well, yeah, you don't have to be afraid of that. If you just limit your world to texting, and Facebook. 
Right? You control the environment. You control the flow of things. You have time to think. If you can't come up with anything good, you just act like something happened and you can't respond. You know, you just kind of go away. The text happened and all of a sudden, hello, you still there? It's like, no. No, you know, you, you act like, you know, you're about to get in a wreck, so you stop texting. In reality, you couldn't come up with anything to say. <laughs> so you just sort of deferred until, ooh, ooh, I got a good thought. Or you present the Facebook world. You know, the Facebook world can be a well-crafted. There's no ugly pictures of you on Facebook. Um, you don't smell. You know, you're not saying anything stupid on Facebook. You didn't just embarrass yourself and stick your foot in your mouth again. You, you, it's a highlight reel. It's everything interesting about your life. How many of you know that you really live a pretty boring life? I mean, how many of y'all are in touch with that? Right, so we grab a few moments here that are interesting. We paste them, and we give the impression to everybody, I'm on the move, baby. And it's like we got background music for the pictures, you know. It's like we're a soundtrack for life. It's like, wow. And how many of y'all get off of Facebook and you go, man, my life stinks. <laughs> look, at, look at him. Look at what he's doing. He's always, you know, he just takes a lot of pictures and knows how to manage them well. That's all. He's got a boring life just like you. But so we can control that in a way that when you go live, you can't control that. You've got to be able to say stuff on the spot. You've got to be spontaneous. Not everybody does spontaneous real well. You can't just be funny after you thought about a line for like, you know, four minutes and you came up with something. Oh, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, what does that look like when you go live? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no don't, 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 don't walk away. I'm sorry, I, I, I'll catch up with you later. I can't come up with anything. You know, it just looks stupid, doesn't it? So you can be somebody online that protects you. Right? You can create this image, this appearance. I think this is hugely affecting our teenagers because teenagers are in that gawky, awkward stage where they're not quite sure they like who they are and they're pretty sure no one else likes who they are. And they don't know if they're good at anything and they're trying to figure out what makes them somebody who's got a title over them. Well, you know, how can I impress? What's my category? What am I good at? What do people think of me? How can I find a safe spot to be? And, you know, I, years ago, without, I think if, if you lack insight into what's going on inside the mind of a teenager, um, what you see is clicks, right? Everybody, if you've been around teenagers, you know that they're, they're, they're clickish, right? Well, yeah and no. They're not clickish depending on the way in which you use that word. They're more running for shelter because they're scared to death of each other. And more so today, quite honestly, than ever. They are scared to death. And so what they do is they try to find their peeps. You know, they try to find my, who am I comfortable with? Who knows me already? Who, when they hear my name, they already know what to think about me, what to be impressed with. You know, I've worked. I've got the system going. They know I'm really good at this. And so the second you walk in the room, you just kind of do this quick radar thing, and you find out, ooh, ooh there's, there's my pizza. And just beeline to get around people where you don't have to be insecure about what are these people thinking about me. No, I, they're already impressed with me. They already like me for something. And so that looks like snootiness towards others. It's fear at an unbelievable level. So, what, you know, what you have in the texting world, what you have in Facebook world is protection from that fear. It's very attractive for teenagers. Now listen, Mr. Jolly says, studies now show that many young people are actually losing their ability to relate to one another in an offline context. 
as they've given themselves over to the ideal or the idol of, of digital communications. They've paid a price. Now, real-world communication feels threatening. Right? I'm, I'm not going to be funny. I'm not going to know. I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm gonna just going to be standing there. That always happens. I'm always just standing there. Uh, that's threatening. Less natural and less normal than typing a text message. In some contexts, digital communication has become the more natural form of communication. It feels easier, safer, and more efficient than talking face to face. Right? And this, is, this is the world in which we live. And these things are affecting our young people. Last question. Is social media creating an unhealthy context for excessive comparison with others or criticism of others? And how will those factors affect our pursuit of fellowship? Right, you need to monitor your own heart. When you have so much access to people's lives, are you a person who compares your life to other people's lives? I mean, are you prone to comparison? And when you do compare, what, what do you do with that comparison? Do you, do you celebrate other people's successes or do you feel threatened by their successes? Or do you celebrate, worse than that, do you celebrate their failures? Because sometime, somehow in a weird way it makes you feel better about your own life. Right? Do, you, do, you, do you compare? Do you criticize? Right? If, you have a, if you're prone at all to, a, to an analyzing sort of critical spirit, uh, the, you know, the last thing in the world that you need is, is more material. <laughs> it's like I used to have, you know, I hated the day when there was only like 20 people in my life for me to critique. Now I'm friends with like 250. I critique them all day long. You know, I look online, what they say, what they do, where they go. They went there. They went on vacation again. <laughs> what are these people, what do they live on vacation? How can they possibly afford that? You know, blah, 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 blah. Right? Is that what you're doing when you're? interacting with other people's world. Now, what do you do when you're doing that and then, then you're called to be in fellowship with each other? You coming into that meeting the same way? You know, or did you look at something or observe something in the digital world that causes you to be a little more hesitant toward that person? Because, you know, you have a kind of got a little bit of an attitude about what they've been doing because you know what they've been doing. Before, you didn't know. You just, you know, came to Covenant Group. You were stupid about what most of the people were doing. But now, now you know. Huh. Yeah. I can see why you couldn't help out with the food chain last week. <laughs> Saw what you were doing all week long. You could sure help those people, though. Right? I mean, you just you got more information. If it's leading you into sinful judgments that are interfering with fellowship, now you got to answer the question, is that a good setting for you? Might you need to think differently? Listen, just because you live in a digital age doesn't require you to do everything digital that's available to you. You have to find out for yourself whether that's a good thing for your soul. All right, let me turn this corner. Relationships in the fellowship of the church. What's this stuff supposed to look like? What did God have in mind? Now let me just give you some quick thoughts on how the Scripture frames our relationships and how they fit into God's plan for fellowship. First... Jesus calling the 12 from the very outset, the idea that God would call his disciples to be part of a preferential world was immediately destroyed. 
God put together some people who were going to have some real challenges to get along with each other. I mean, if you know anything about the 12, you've got, you got blue-collar dudes who fish, hanging out with highbrow tax collectors who are rubbing arms with movers and shakers in the political realm, you know, right? You know, Zacchaeus having the party at his house, I'm sure Matthew. I mean, these guys were swingers, man. They had stuff going on. They were moving it because they had money. They had money because they were overtaxing the fishermen, right? So you got Matthew, that stinking tax collector. What? He's going to be a part of us? Wait, Jesus, what are you thinking? Do you know what? I know guys who work for him. Do you understand how difficult it was? And then, that's not to mention the fact that Matthew would have been a betrayer of the nation of Israel. Simon the zealot would have been part of sort of the then tea party, if you would. I mean, it had been very, very conservative, idealistic group of folks loyal to the nation of Israel and hostile to anybody who doesn't go along with their agenda. So you got Simon the Zealot who's here in that you, cho- you chose who? The backstabbing betrayer named Matthew? He's going to be one of the 12? Oh, no, no, not my friend. He is not my friend, right? <laughs> I can't trust that dude. But that's the 12. That's who Jesus chose. You, you don't get to build a preferential world. God builds it for you. And it stretches you and it challenges you. Listen, don't, don't. I don't know what kind of Christianity we're going to end up with when we do our designer maneuvers and we get rid of all the people in our life who just don't fit our life a certain way. We don't like the way they fit us. You know, basically almost removing a bunch of the tools of God that he would use to change us and transform us and benefit our lives, people who, different, who are different than us. But if you just stepped into the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 6, you had some issues going on there. You had people living with each other. You had all kinds of different backgrounds. You had poor and rich. You had Greek Jews mixing with non-Greek Jews. And there were suspicions because the Greek Jews, you know, these are guys who didn't speak Hebrew. So they kind of were one step removed from really being authentic Jewish people who now they've gotten saved, but they're Jewish and who are these guys over here? And all of a sudden, they're, they're being neglected. Remember the scandal that breaks out in Acts chapter 6? Those folks are being neglected. Huh. Why are they, why are they being neglected? What, was it because they're not Jewish enough for you? Huh? Is that what's going on? And, and God put all these people together. And there was controversy. There was probably backstabbing that took place. There was disappointment going on. The leaders had to call meetings to fix things. That's the church God wants you to be a part of. You know, it's a weird, weird thing for you to think that there's, there's people that God intentionally puts you around who are designed to stroke you the wrong way, right? <laughs> That's, I mean, God has ordained them from the womb. That They've probably been doing that for everybody throughout the course of their lives, but now you are their assignment. And they just rub you. And your natural tendency is get away from them. And God's is, no, learn how to be godly. On how to love those who are different than, than you are. The church is by nature a gathering, right? In this individualized world, you're being told, go off into your own corners, live your own life, check in on Facebook. The church is a gathering. The word for church in the Bible is the word ecclesia. 
it means a called out ones, but its common use is for gatherings. So people were called out of their individual lives into a specific purpose, right? Here's how the, the common Greek language would use that word, not just for church. It existed before it was used that way. An assembly of people constituted by well-defined membership. That's how that word got used. And then the church comes along and says, okay, now you are the church. You're, the, you're an assembly of people that have a well-defined membership about why you're here and why you're together. Right? We're a gathering. So we cannot, we cannot move away from gathering into our individual worlds. We need to fellowship with one another. The church is a body with interrelated parts. Right? That, that's, that's who we are. We're the body of Christ. And we're interrelated Your existence stops making sense the moment you detach it from the body. The great picture in Scripture about feet, one person's a foot and this one's an eye, you know how the Bible talks about that? Well, that means you need other body parts. You, You can't exist and fulfill your function and your role without being gathered and connected to other members of the body. So we can't buy into this individual idea. Listen listen to the importance placed upon how we come together in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, every joint, every person. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I know, listen, I know I could ask everybody, how many of you guys would like for the church to be a more loving environment, more powerfully influential, caring environment? Now, how do you, how do you hope for us to get there? preach a certain way, put out different books in the bookstore? What what are we hoping we'll do that? Because according to the Bible, it's when each member functions properly, the body becomes these things, and it's built up, right? So everybody, everybody in this room right now needs to be asking themselves a question. Are you functioning properly? responsibility for the church to be this awesome place that God's called it to be, to be a mind-blowing setting where relationships are done in a different way, to see people love Christ above everything else in this world. For that to happen, each part needs to do its part, which, which means, do, do you have room in your life to be a part? Really? Really? And I won't walk in the back, but hey, do you have room in your life for the church to be something to you in a significant way? Or have we fallen prey to living at a pace of life that something's got to give? Now, obviously, if, if the Bible puts so much importance on what can be accomplished when each part does its part, then my question as a pastor is, what is in the way? of you being the part that God's called you to be. What, what's, what's taking up the space? And if it's digital, can you get rid of that to answer a higher call? 
if you need to. Now, maybe some of you can do digital and you can play your part too. Great, not a problem. But if you can't, this is more important. God's body, it matters. Right, J.I. Packer says, the church of God, that wonderful and sacred mystery is a subject that stands at the very heart of the Bible. It is within the church that the individual Christian finds the ministries of grace, the means of growth, and his primary sphere for service. We cannot properly understand the purpose of God, nor the method of grace, nor the kingdom of Christ, nor the work of the Holy Spirit, nor the meaning of the world history without studying the doctrine of the church. Listen, if you're a finger and you don't understand anatomy, you've got no clue as to why you are the way you are. If you're in the body of Christ and you don't understand the body of Christ, then I can guarantee you this, and I don't even have to know your name. You don't understand your life. If you don't have a significant understanding of the purpose of the church, and you're a Christian, I can tell you right now, without question, you don't really know what your life is about. So if you're trying to figure out who you're supposed to be in this world, and that vapor of a life that you've been given, you need to first understand you're part of the body of Christ and fulfill that call and watch how God makes clear who you are and who you're to be as you go about living your life. All right, last thought. Individual Christians do not thrive in isolation. The digital world is an isolating world. It brings to you all the world in a little device you don't need to get around the world and the people and others. You can get alone and still feel like you're interacting. Right? It's an individual context. Packer says, a body in which the blood does not circulate properly is always below par. And fellowship corresponds to the circulation of the blood in the body of Christ. We gain strength through fellowship and lose strength without it. We grow in fellowship. We go back if we live in isolation from one another. Now, let me, let me throw this last thought out here. And it's a warning. It's, it's a warning about what isolation can and will do in your, in your life. You live in a fallen world. It's a world full of temptations. Sin still inhabits these bodies. If you get isolated from this body of Christ that God has given you to be a part of, you become vulnerable in ways that you may not recognize. You might think that, you know, I, I attend church. You know, I'm here a lot of the Sundays. Listen, you better study fellowship and find out, are you fellowshipping the way God intended you to? Or are you vulnerable right now? Are you living this individualized sort of secluded world that there's not enough people of God interacting with it. You are vulnerable. There's this interesting phrase that Admiral Lord Nelson, in the 18th century, he was an admiral in the British Army, coined. It was called Beyond Gibraltar. Right? If you remember the geography, Gibraltar stands to the south of Europe on your way down to Africa, right at the Mediterranean Sea. And the idea was... Once anybody travels beyond Gibraltar, it's like no one knows who you are. It's, it's sort of like today, it's whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know, once you got past Gibraltar, no one knows who you are. No one's watching you, man. 
So this is what the thoughts that came out of that. Charlie says, beyond civilization, with all its rules and religion and morality, lay uninhibited freedom. And here every man was a bachelor. Every man, free from the watchful eye of society, could behave however he pleased. In those days, morality and accountability were closely tied to visibility. Most people in an entire lifetime would travel no further than the next town or village. They lived in close-knit communities where one person always knew what another was up to. Today, in our digital world, we spend much of our lives beyond Gibraltar, beyond accountability through visibility, able to stay and do and look at and enjoy whatever our hearts desire. Yet for all the freedom it brings, it can also bring us captivity. All right, listen, when you find yourself eager to withdraw yourself from fellowship, I can, I can promise you this. It's not for and it's never for righteous reasons. It's either because there's a little corruption in your heart that you want a longer leash so you can feed it, so you can live privately in that area, so you can loose the eyes that God has graciously given you in your life to observe your life. See, when we live in fellowship with one another, if we're doing it biblically, we actually know each other. The signs would be evident. You begin to behave this way and develop that way and neglect this thing and spend time with that. People who know you would see that, and God would use it by his grace to protect you, to protect you. You begin to move yourself away from fellowship. It's either over an offense that you need to go and work through that. That's the right thing to do. Or it's because I'm craving space. And if you're craving space, you might want to ask yourself, why? What is it beyond Gibraltar that I'm interested in? All right, God has given us fellowship. All right, man, go ahead and come. The, the, the digital age... Hope you can see today the digital age is pulling on that. It's an irreducible fundamental. Right? You, you cannot live the Christian life without fellowship. You cannot do it. God didn't intend for it to be done. He didn't invent a second means of living the Christian life. These are irreducible fundamentals. So what God needs to do with us today, and what I trust by the Spirit can be communicated into each heart here this morning, is for you to consider... How are you doing in the realm of fellowship in your life? Are you involved with people the way in which God has called you to be involved with people? Do people know you and do you know them? Do you, do you create time and settings where deep relationships can occur? Listen, you, you, one of the reasons we do small groups is because you can't have a deep relationship with this many people. That's why we do small groups. And quite honestly, you can't have a really, really deep relationship with 20 or 25 that are in your small group. You're probably going to need five, maybe just two or three that you're significantly sharing your life with in a way that God would both use as a blessing, as a, as a means of a rearview mirror for you, help, accountability, protection to keep you from sailing off beyond Gibraltar in an area that's... You guys know what I mean when I talk about sailing off beyond Gibraltar? 
How many of you guys, and this will be a humbling thing, but maybe there's some folks here who need to see your hand go up so they can come talk to you. How many of you guys have you've been a Christian for a significant amount of time? At some point, you sort of sailed off and distanced yourself from fellowship, and you got yourself into a world of trouble. Can you just confess that to me? Let me see your hand. All right, hold your hand up for a second, really. Hold it up so people around you can see. You know any of these folks? Because if you're here this morning, you're tempted to sail beyond Gibraltar, you might want to go visit with one of these guys. Find out what that freedom felt like in the long run. Go confess. Go do something deep with that person. Don't just live with your Facebook personality sticking out there. If you're hurting and you're tempted to lead a life that doesn't get published on Facebook, you're given one perception, but that's not really who you are right now, real fellowship, real fellowship means you can go confess your sins and your temptations to somebody in your life who's significant, can make a difference, and God can protect you from a long season of destruction in your own heart. Let's stand up together. Lord, what a unique gift you have given to your people in this gathering called the church. Fellowship, sharing the communion of our lives together, one with another. Lord, a people, as we gaze across this auditorium, a people, many of them very different from us, different ages different economic backgrounds, different races. And yet, Lord, you have brought us together. You have gathered us together. Lord, you want us to benefit from, to be challenged by, to have the rough edges rubbed off because of those differences that are among us. And, Lord, you have gathered us. Lord, I, I pray for a move amongst your people that no matter how much the interesting, the ever interesting world of the digital age calls out to us, we would treasure the gathering of your people more. Lord, it would not become an optional commodity in our lives, Lord. We would not relegate it to, well, if I've got time or if I've got the energy. Lord, let other things rest in those categories. May it be that if I've got time, I will check email to Facebook, but your people matter to you, God, therefore it matters for me to gather with them, Lord, make us to be a people whose priorities reflect your wisdom and your desires, so Father, I thank you, Lord, I, I trust and pray and hope that seeing the landscape, seeing the challenges in the age in which we live will help us to avoid potholes, snares that await us. But Lord, we're not just here to avoid something. We're here to embrace something. The great life you've called us to, the life of being your people together for your glory in amazing ways. So Father, knit us together as we close with this song, Lord, Spirit of God, test our hearts and inform us, convict and lead us as to adjustments we need to make, even this week. In Jesus' name.